Wistful Thinking is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things movie and nostalgia podcasts, go to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. The real charm of it lay in Beth's happy face as she leaned over the new piano and lovingly touched the beautiful black and white keys. During the next few minutes, the rumor circulated that Amy March had got 24 delicious lines. I told you they dressed me up, but I didn't tell you that they powdered and squeezed and made me look a fashion plate. As she spoke, Joe took off her bonnet. A general outcry arose, for all her abundant hair was cut short. Joe, how could you? You're one beauty. Nothing's going to change, Joe. Welcome to Wistful Thinking, a podcast where we revisit pop culture from our youth to see if it's still as good all grown up. I'm Cara Gale O'Regan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Jordan Poland-Clark. Hi! And today we're going to be talking about the 1995 film adaptation of the Louisa May Alcott novel, Little Women. Uh, This was very important to both of us when we were growing up. And uh, there was a lot of crying that happened. So much crying. (laughs) Uh, Jordan, what was your relationship to this movie? Well, okay, so was it you or me who brought this movie up first? Um, You know what, I think it's like come up a few times when we've been talking about other things. And then you were talking about it. And then I read a really good essay about it and then we were like let's just do little women. right okay so the reason i was talking about it is because we were talking about like well maybe we don't need a guest every time maybe like we should just pick things so i was like okay what would i pick and i was like i would pick austin powers i used to watch that movie like every day and then i was like wait no i used to alternate it with little women i used to watch little women all the time like probably as much as i watched austin powers um, so Which is such a good combo. <laughs> I have really good taste. Um, and <laughs> I just have this like, like, you know, do you ever get the thing in your life where like you had a really close friend who you have memories of, but like they're related to things that you used to like do or watch together? Yeah. So I have this like very like vivid sound of my best friend's voice my best friend from growing up she was my best friend till we were in like seventh grade and then she moved away and there's a line in this movie where joe is feeding beth broth which we'll talk about so much later because we're gonna get to that scene but she says drink this good broth (laughs) my friend used to say that (laughs) oh god i'm crying already (laughs) um but like that like just that line alone is like seared in my head i can hear her voice so clearly (laughs) saying that line so I don't know yeah I love this and but I like really really hadn't seen it at all since I was a kid I hadn't even really thought about it and like maybe didn't even realize how important it was to me until I turned it on again now and I was like what this is everything yeah 
Um, I watched it a bunch as a kid, too. Maybe not that much. Uh, but it was something that I saw a bunch and definitely have not seen as an adult. And um, it was this essay called Home is Where the Hurt Is that was on uh, Bright Wall Dark Room, which is a film blog by Asher Geltzer Gavados. Um, and it's really good. <laughs> I actually had to stop reading it because it was making me cry. And then I was just like, oh my god, we have to I have to watch this movie again because like, all of this stuff like kept, came rushing back. And um, yeah, watching it again was it was a doozy so before we get into that uh this plot of little women or the synopsis is that um at least when the movie opens their father it's about the (laughs) my brain's all over you want me to try (laughs) yep please do (laughs) okay it's about the march family which is made up of a mother a father and four daughters um and when the movie opens... But mostly just a mother and four daughters. Well, when the movie opens, the father is away. Um, he's uh, uh, at the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what he's doing. Uh, <laughs> I think he was fighting. No, I don't think he was fighting no. because he's old. He was doing something else. Oh, yeah. Um, been, like, but so the, their father is absent for most of the movie. So the movie follows these young women who are, I think, aged between like 12 and 17. Does that sound yeah, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Um, as they, I would describe it as struggle with being women. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, during that time period. You know, a classic coming of age story. But you know, they're, they they are their personalities are so 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 developed, mm-hmm. and including the mother, um, mm-hmm. and that's I mean that's the played best by a pre problematic Susan Sarandon who is amazing in this movie. Why is she problematic? Oh, she said some things in the past year or so, oh. like politically. They're just uh, you know not great. They're not great. But oh. Let's, let's not let the uh, let us get derailed by that. Um, so the, yeah, the movie stars Susan Sarandon as the mother. Um, I don't know the name of the actress who plays Meg, who's the oldest sister, because was she ever I, in anything again? Who is that? One hundred percent thought that was Andy McDowell. Like oh, I could see well that. Well into the movie, I think I wrote down notes about her and was like Andy McDowell's hair. <laughs> um, and even when I thought about like rewatching this, I was like, "Oh man!" And that cast: Susan Sarandon's got Winona Ryder, it's got Andy McDowell. Um, it's not Andy McDowell. Her name is it's Trini Alvarado. Yes, she's um, been in some other things, but I think not like the other actresses have. No, um, so no, she's the like oldest the, sister, the girl who that is... played Christy in uh, Babysitters Club, who like looked ex- like exactly at the same time looked like. Um, Anna Paquin, I think that happens oh, yeah. a lot. Where there's like two actresses that look exactly alike. That and does happen. One of them goes on into, into fame. Although Amy Adams and all the other ones seem to be have been doing well. Yeah, <laughs> like there's like four women that look like her. I have no idea who they are. No, anyway. one of, uh, one of them's Isla Fisher, and she's also great, and they look exactly the same. They're yeah, definitely they, people they think they're the same person. Okay, anyway, she's married to Borat, right? Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so. Trini Alvarado plays Meg, who's the oldest sister, who's meant to be, like, 17, maybe. 
Um, and she's kind of the one who, like, I would say plays by the rules of the time period the most. Like, she kind of does isn't, like, dreaming of this big life. She kind of just, like wants to do the right thing and fit in and like have a nice husband and and they all believe in marrying for love i think that's a really really important plot point yeah. that will come up over and over again um but so then the the next oldest is played by winona Ryder. that's joe um and she's I like think this is my favorite of her roles over the years i think so too yeah she's so good in this yeah, and it's, like, like it's the same thing, like, where I can, like, hear her voice, like, echoing in my head still, mm-hmm. like, because I, uh, yeah, I just watched it so much, um, but so she's, uh, like, the protagonist mostly, like, I mean, you really, like, learn a lot and hang out a lot with all of the sisters, but you spend the most time with Joe. Yeah, and it's, like, from her, like, there's voiceover and stuff, and it's her. It's her, And yeah. it's her... It, you ultimately understand, I think, her writing about this experience, retrospectively, kind of. They they play with that a little bit, but yeah. So she's the narrator, and she's feisty, um, and kind of a tomboy, and has a temper that she's always trying to control because it gets her in trouble. Um, the next one is Beth, who's played by Claire Danes. Um, who is, like, super soft-spoken and, like, just wants everyone to be happy and, like, wants everyone to be together. She's, like, the traditional, like, youngest sibling, even though she's not the youngest sibling. Yeah. Uh, and well, then... I feel like she she's, like, one half of the traditional younger sibling, and then the next sister embodies that other is half. the other half? Yeah, so the next sister is Amy, who's played by um, Kirsten Dunst. And then what's the name of the actress who plays her when she's older? Uh, Samantha Mathis. Yeah. Um, Kirsten Dunst is amazing in this, too. Yeah, so she plays young Amy, and then Amy grows up, because we have a four-year time skip in the movie. Um, But so Amy is, like, super... (laughs) Not spoiled, but she acts spoiled, kind of. Um, She's just, like, very much the baby. Um, And she's just always dreaming of, like, being glamorous and, like, being in love and having this, like, amazing life, you know? (laughs) Um, and she's an artist, which, like, I don't think they establish well enough in this movie until oh, the really? until the end. Like, I didn't get really at all in the beginning that she was an artist. But whenever yeah. you read about the character, she is described as an artist. Well, because there is that, that scene where she's sitting in the garden painting teacups. Um, and you... I, well, I, I think you're to understand that, like, kind of all of the sisters are artists, you know, because they have that that like newspaper that they publish together yeah, that's true. And they like put on skits and stuff like that so I think like all of them are intensely creative and um yeah you don't really see her st- start to come into her own until after that four-year time skip and, and like we're introduced to old quote-unquote old Amy um she's sitting in the garden painting a teacup and a uh, snotty art teacher is making uh, rude comments about her to her aunt March, and then she goes to Paris with her, and she's studying art there. Yeah. Uh, so I guess then the other two characters who matter are Aunt March, who's their old aunt, um, who first Joe is the caretaker of her, and then Amy becomes her caretaker, and so Amy gets to go to Europe with her, which is something that Joe always wanted to do, but Amy gets to yeah. do it instead. 
Um, and I think it's important to note that their Aunt March seems to be very wealthy, whereas, like, the family, and they, they make comments about this multiple times, they have very little money. They, but they used to have money. Um, right. I, I've never read the book, which I'm regretting now. Um, but It's good. It's, it's <laughs> I, a book that I, like, read multiple times as a kid. Um, everything I read about it, though, said that they they used to have money, and their dad got them in debt. Um, yeah. And so now they so they now they don't have any money except then they actually take care of a lot of people who truly don't have any money. So like they're fine, you know. They don't have yeah. what they used to have, but like they're not dirt poor. Because you see people in this movie who really are dirt poor because they're taking right. they still they still go out of their way to take care of other people. Um, so then the other character that matters a bunch is Laurie. Ugh. What? <laughs> oh, is that not your reaction to Laurie? Because I um, think he is the worst. I don't, and then I do. Okay, that's um, fair. That's fine. I have mixed feelings about him. So he's played by Christian Bale. Um, and he moves in. So he, like, a had this childhood where his his he's from a very wealthy family and his father married an Italian woman a musician or oh, an I artist or something and the the rumor that Joe cites is that he uh wait where is it oh he was reared in Italy among artists and vagrants <laughs> yes um but so both of his parents have now passed away, so he comes home to live with his grandfather, who is the next-door neighbor of the March family. So they get to know him, and he becomes kind of like an unofficial member of the March family. Although I guess eventually he becomes an actual member of the March family. Mm-hmm. And also, um, Gabriel Byrne is in it doing his best Werner Herzog impression. Yeah, he I like him in this. Friedrich, uh, who ultimately wins the heart of Joe. And then who's the guy who marries Meg? He's he's been in other Eric stuff. Stoltz. Yeah, yeah, he was in. He's in stuff, right? And other stuff. And other stuff. <laughs> you know, it's one of those guys whose face you know, but yeah. Is that is that it? Did we get everybody? Uh, their father. I their father comes home eventually, and it's like yeah, kind of isn't like, involved. I don't even think he has any speaking lines in the movie. Does barely, he? barely. Yeah. He like says hello to them all when he comes in after after he's been wounded, he comes home and so he talks to them then and then like later he's there after Beth dies. Spoiler, Beth dies. Um Yeah. Uh so this movie, uh based on the book by Louisa May Alcott, who uh, we actually talked about in the last episode. I don't know if you remember this, but when we were talking about Clueless, Cher went to Bronson Alcott High School, uh, which was named for Louisa May Alcott's father. Oh, yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah, so he was like the founder of transcendentalism or whatever um, and hung out with people like Wordsworth and Thoreau and those guys um and so this book is like semi-autobiographical it's not exactly but um joe in the story is basically louise may alcott and um the plot of it is based off of uh her life with her and her sisters which 
um, is full of just joy and also a lot of loss, um, which yeah. I think is what makes this book and this movie, I mean, this movie especially, um, what makes it so special is that it strikes this kind of perfect balance between those two things in something I like to call an emotional speedball. <laughs> it really uh, is! <laughs> because you're just like, you know, it's so visceral and so like for as gut-wrenching and sad as parts of this movie and parts of this story are and actually parts of the story that happened in real life um, like the true sense of joy and like love for each other really just shines through this movie it's so good yeah I, there's a line in it um, in one part where Laurie is talking to Brooks um, and he's like looking at them from the window and he's like what do you think they spend their time doing like he's just wondering about them because you know these women are such a mystery to him and I think that like this movie does a really good job of capturing what like young girls actually do and yeah I, the rich inner lives of women which we almost never, never get to see right? on screen but like never. all that stuff where they're like making fake newspapers and like writing yeah. stuff and putting on plays like I did all that with my friends yeah. that's real yeah these like really creative, willful, enterprising teen girls again. <laughs> we know how much I love enterprising teen girls. Like all of these things that to a certain extent are used as like almost weapons against young women, mm-hmm. like especially like the willfulness and stuff like that. Like we never get to see that portrayed really positively in this way that it's like, what do you think they do in there? Although, when you were saying that, it made me think of The Virgin Suicides, which is another mm, yeah. um, film adaptation that Kirsten Dunst was in. But, yeah, like, you never get to see that kind of, like, inner inner life of young women or, you know, not young women. It's it's very rare. I think you're starting to see it more, but, like, it's, it's not, for all of film history, not been something that gets explored a lot. Yeah, and they're so affectionate with each other, too. Yeah. I feel like that's also not something... Like, I don't even want to say that you don't see it, because you kind of do, but there's something about this movie where it seems so genuine. Like, mm. like I, I would describe most of it in other movies as being kind of artificial. And this just, yeah. like, feels so real. Maybe they're just, you know, the acting is that good. Yeah. Uh, it was written by Robin Swickert, Swicord, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Do you know what else she wrote? <laughs> Practical Magic. <laughs> I know. Yes. <laughs> I got really excited when I saw that because that's other like that's another movie about like this richer inner life, inner life of you know this multi generational like family of women, um, sisterhood. It seems to be a very strong theme for her. I don't think Practical Magic did like nearly as good a job as this did though. Of those things. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. You're definitely right. Um, but it was good. The other thing... The other thing that you touched on a little bit a few minutes ago... Um, was, like, about loss. Like, yeah. I think the thing that really, really comes across for this whole movie... Is how close death always was yeah. during that time yeah. period. Like, I feel like we... like. Up until very like like, we don't have to live like that, but like most people forever have had to live like that, and like yeah, it's just yeah, 
uh, one of the things that made me cry the hardest when I was researching, <laughs> which I had to take several cry breaks. Um, but I, in real life, um, the character of Amy, who's the youngest daughter, the artist, or the youngest sister, um, I forget what her name was in real life, but uh, she actually was like a pretty renowned artist in her own right. Um, so Louisa May Alcott had gotten kind of famous, but also um, her youngest sister gained some notoriety as an artist herself. And, um, you know, got to live in Europe for a while and stuff like that. But then she had a child and then died seven weeks later. And it's just like, ugh, man. Yeah, just like kids dying. You know? There's a war, yeah. so, like, all the like men are dying. Died. Like, everyone's just dying. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And they're yeah. so... They're so graceful in this of, like, how they deal with that. Mm-hmm. So, Little Women has been adapted to the screen, I think, two or three other times. This Four is the times only one. total. Okay. There's, there's two new ones coming up. Yeah, There's two new ones? What's the there's other one? There's two. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get I, to that. Okay. <laughs> uh, so this one is actually the first time that you see Beth die on screen, which is something that can be done really poorly, but is done so unbelievably well here. And it's like peak Claire Dan's ugly cry face, too. It, it's per- she there's really like nails spit it. spit in her mouth. You can see <laughs> it. It's really perfect. Yeah. Yeah. She's really good. Yeah. Um, the sister that Beth is based on also like that whole that scene where she like goes to their neighbor's house and the baby is crying and she's like trying to help them and then she comes down with scarlet fever that actually happened to her Um, and then she and she like kind of recovered but never fully did and like didn't have great health um, and then two years later died so I think there's like a longer period of time um, in the movie where she gets to live after she had scarlet fever, but that actually is based on real life, which is also super sad. Yeah. Um, I also think that they do a good job of capturing how nasty girls are to each other, too. Yeah. Um, like, there's a part where Joe accidentally burns off Meg's hair. <laughs> Oh my god. And then they- <laughs> that scene is like also burned into my memory. <laughs> um and then and then they go out to like a party together, right? They're both there. Yeah. And Joe I forget I don't even remember why. I didn't write down why, but Joe is like a little bit jealous of Meg at the party for some reason. Like someone's flirting with there's some reason. Well, and- I think cuz she just like she is she actually has been like taken on by the rich girl. There's actually a make a makeover scene in this movie, which I got really there excited is. when I, I realized that. I was like, "Oh my god, it's a makeover scene!" So like, she's had this transformation, and now she's like the belle of the ball, and she's that's, just getting a lot. That's of attention. later, though, isn't it? Joe's not at that one because Meg oh. is like. Re- remember, Meg is really embarrassed about it, and she runs into yeah, Rory, um, right. and they make each other promise not to tell. Mm-hmm. So this yeah, is before right. that. I I think Laurie's um is like saying how pretty he thinks Meg is, and so Joe, and so Joe says she's completely bald in front, <laughs> which I thought was funny because she is the yeah. reason that Meg is bald in front. It's just yeah. like like how girls sometimes I don't know maybe men do this too, but like girls like can't 
hold their tongues sometimes about, you know, gets a little yeah. catty. Um, and then the part where Amy burns Joe's book. Manuscript. Oh yeah. my god. It's really yeah. sad. It's really sad. also, like, Amy, like, clearly, like, immediately regretted it, yeah. too. So it's just, like, really, like, sad. Um, but the the two of them, I think, have a really interesting relationship um, because they both are so creative. I think there's, like, um, like, a little bit of competition between them and also, like, I don't know, just, like, a weird dynamic because later on... After, like, the, the time jump, Amy's the one that gets to go to Europe with their mm-hmm. aunt instead yeah. of Joe, and she always thought that she was going to be the one who goes. Um, but, so, like, to me, their relationship is the most interesting, I think, but also has the most humor to it, too, um, because of the way that they, like, speak to each other. Like, um, when Joe cuts off all of her hair, Amy exclaims, Joe, your hair, it's your one beauty. <laughs> and I think that when I, when you see it the first time, or when you hear it the first time in the movie, it just is like, oh my god, her hair. But then you hear it again later, um, like, Joe is furiously writing, and you, like, hear all of these um like memories that she's having and like you hear that one line and it actually it made me like bust out laughing hysterically because <laughs> it's so much funnier that time around yeah i think joe is fun because she because nothing can be easy for her like mm-hmm. i she's the kind of person who who never wants to take the easy way out and in some ways will actually like t- take the hardest route on purpose yeah. Because she knows that that's the only thing that she needs to do. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes her so wise. And, and she doesn't know it. But it makes yeah, her so she's wise. She's just kind of like, why is everything so hard? Yeah. Which I definitely understand. I can definitely identify with that. Um, so, like I said, she based Joe on herself Louisa May Alcott did um but Joe marries at the end of this story like Friedrich comes to deliver uh like the bound copy of her book and then they wind up together which always kind of bummed me out like I just wanted like because she is such a strong character like I didn't want that to be kind of like how it ended um and in real life Louisa May Alcott never did actually marry she explained her spinsterhood in an interview where she said, I'm more than half persuaded that I am a man's soul out, uh, <laughs> put by some freak of nature into a woman's body because I have fallen in love with so many pretty girls and never once the least bit with any man. So I like kind of wish that the ending was different, but otherwise um, her, like she never makes decisions based on like her love for a man which I think is rad well that's definitely true and I but I also don't think she ever really loved a man until she met Friedrich yeah no that's definitely she true. didn't love Laurie no um yeah I don't I don't mind that ending yeah. just because it's not it's not forced like everything that happens is like her own choice right and yeah that's true she gets a lot of things that she wanted yeah, 
That's true. And it, this is actually part of a trilogy. There's like two more books uh, called Joe's Boys. Wait, no. Little Men and Joe's Boys. And I watched the beginning of like a low-budget Canadian state television adaptation of Little Men. And in that, it's like Friedrich had just died and she was like trying to figure out how to run the school by herself. Hmm. So it sets that up. I think, unfortunately, like that was a time period where like if you wanted to do anything you needed to be married and so like the world wasn't gonna stop her so she needed to get married you know like I think that was something that she was always pretty accepting of yeah but I don't but she wasn't like Meg or like Amy or like they kind of knew what they wanted I don't think she knew what she wanted yeah Okay, tell me why you ugh'd at Lori. Because oh, he just sucks. Um, I don't know. There were like there were a few times that I made notes about this, so let me take a look. I can um, tell you what some of mine are, because I have like two. Okay. I mean, one time I just wrote Lori is the worst right now, but I'm not really sure why I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the first thing that I thought was weird is when, so they have to send Amy away when Beth gets scarlet fever because Amy's yeah. never had it and they don't want her to catch it. So they send her away um, and Laurie kind of escorts her. And so they're sitting in this carriage together and she's, she's worried that she's going to die. She's worried that she's already caught scarlet fever and that she's not going to make it. <laughs> And at this scene, I wrote, ugh, get out of here, Christian Bale. Yeah, right? Okay, so, yeah, because it's not awesome. So, so she's Although like, it could have gone much worse. Definitely. But so she's, like, getting all dramatic because that's just what she does. And she's like, what if I die before I get to have a kiss? Like, nobody's ever going to kiss me. And um, Laurie is like... I promise, I to, promise kiss to kiss you before you die. Before you die. Which Ugh. is, like, weird because she's, like, 12 and he's, like, 18. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's meant to be yep. a sweet moment, and if you disregard a lot of things, it is. Like, his sentiment is nice. Like, I get what he's saying, but you yeah. can't just say that to a 12-year-old. Right. Yeah. Um. Oh, here we go. Um, there's one point where he's, like, talking to, oh, it's, it's when, um, he, like, professes his love for Joe, which I think is, like, right after Beth dies. She, like, goes running out into the woods, and then he, like, comes after her. Um, and he's basically, no, no, is that two different scenes? It's way before that. She does run out into the woods both times, but I think because he marries Amy after Beth dies. He goes, he goes to find Amy after Beth dies, and they kiss, and then they go home. Yeah, so I don't remember why she ran out in the woods that time. Where she happened to be running out of in the, into the woods, which is like another way in which I identified deeply with this character because that was my go-to unfrustrated move. But um, she also like I feel like it's very symbolic because she runs out into the woods, but always like comes to a gate where she has to stop. She yeah. never gets very far. Oh, interesting. That's re- that is a very interesting point. Yeah. Um. So he basically is like, why do you girls get to paint and write and I have to set my music aside and go work? Oh, I also wrote this down. Yes. Yeah. Um, And he's like acting like they're the same and they're not. Right. 
Yeah, and so then he like professes his love to her, and she just looks so terrified and annoyed. Yeah. And is like, what the fuck? And he says, you don't have to write unless you want to. And honestly, how dare you? Right. Sir. Um, and she even says, like, I can't just, I just can't go be your wife. Like, I can't give up who I am just to, like, go off and be the wife, the wife of some rich man. So that was pretty rad. Um, and then there were a few more uh, notes that I made about him. Well, um, wait, can we talk about that scene for a second? Because sure. I wrote, I wrote during that scene like about how wise both of them were during that scene like because she's like I can't just be a wife like which was just like I don't know it was it's I feel like that was a ballsy and really really smart thing to say and she's like we'll kill each other here's all the reasons why this is a bad idea um and then once he like gets that that's what she's saying because she's basically, she makes it sound like she's never going to get married. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, 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 you will. He's like, you'll meet someone who you actually love, and you Oh, see, will. I hate that, though. Like, but, he was, but he was right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he was right, but, like, he didn't have to be. No, but he was. He was right. But, like, I, like, I ta- all I take it as is that, like, he actually knows her really well. And yeah. I like to me that's all he was saying. He wasn't like making some generalization about how women have to get married or anything like that. He was just like, "Joe, I know you, and you're gonna." Yeah. Well, when he is in Europe and he runs into Amy, he's like whining again that, like, because I think he's like not really working on his music no. and he's just like whining and loafing around. And Amy is like, what? You're not even, you know, you have all of this time on your hands and you're not even doing it. Um, and he says, my, compos- my composition is not like your painting. Mediocre copies of another man's genius. I thought Which, he said it is like her painting. I thought he said it is like her painting. No, because she was doing a lot of um, uh, replica painting. Yeah. Or like, you know, copying other paintings. And what he's saying is that like when you write a song, you're not just copying somebody else's music. You're writing your own. Oh yeah, that's I, that's not what I heard. And that is yeah. gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um and she also is like what the fuck? <laughs> Cuz he comes on to her then and she's like, "Fuck you, man." I Get mean, out yeah. Of here. Yeah. Which is also great. And he's like, I'm going to make myself worthy of you. Which basically just means he's going to go get a job and make some money. Yeah. And, like, be a grown-up. Which, like, that's all she ever really wanted, though. I don't know. Yeah. I think she's better than that, but, like, she wanted her rich husband. <laughs> Whatever a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do, I suppose. Um, and then die after giving birth. <laughs> because we didn't have antibiotics yet. Well, I'm glad we didn't have to see that part. Yeah, that would have been really deeply upsetting. Um, uh, so the man that, that Joe does fall in love with is this Friedrich guy. I guess he's German. She meets him in New York because she goes off to dirty, bustling New York City to be a big-time writer. Um, and you see her get like rejected by multiple publications saying like go to a woman's magazine they'll they'll publish your stuff there and then she finally does get published but only with a male um, 
pseudonym, which Louisa, Louisa May Alcott um, also experienced. She had a difficult time getting published, so she published as a man instead up until Little Women. Um, so she meets this guy when she's in New York, and he says, when I saw you, I knew you were a writer, which I put a side eye emoji next to that, because uh, that's such a lame pickup line. But, but he really did. <laughs> yeah. And he is also yeah, a writer. She has, so. like, an inky finger. Yeah. Um, it's just the way he says it, because also he is, like, significantly older than she He's is. He's a lot older than her, yeah. He's like a grown-ass man with gray hair, and she's still probably maybe twenty. I, I looked point? it up. I don't remember. I don't remember. There's like it, there's like a solid like twenty-year age gap. Yeah. yeah. But he, yeah, but he encourages her to mm-hmm. basically write better, like yeah. like to stop writing fluff and to like write like from her heart for real and he convinces her that people would actually like that which is like something that something that like nobody else could have given her I mean not you know of course they could have but like nobody else who was already in her life could have given her that you know could have given her that piece of wisdom yeah and I think also like she liked having him to like bounce ideas off of and stuff so like you see this one scene of her like furiously writing and also furiously asking him questions of like uh i wrote one down which was my favorite how long would it take strychnine to dissolve in brandy (laughs) yeah (laughs) she like needed it for a story which i think is hilarious she Um, says one of my favorite well she says maybe my favorite thing in the movie when she's besides drink this good broth um (laughs) <laughs> when she's in New York and she's sitting in a room with a bunch of men and they're arguing about whether or not women yeah. can vote and finally they wise up and they they ask the woman in the room what she thinks <laughs> after like three minutes they Which finally ask her. The, the least believable part of the movie <laughs> is they actually ask the woman right. for what she thinks. Um, but so she she tells them her argument about why women should be able to vote and they all th- agree with her and they say you should have been a lawyer and she says I should have been a great many things and yeah. I just think that's like so real for yeah. somebody who is so was born when she was born yeah so talented so smart yeah. and she's not allowed to be anything yeah I don't think it this line makes it made it into this movie but I it's in the trailer for the one that's coming out on PBS soon um which is and, and I, I'm pretty sure it's in the book something to the effect of like being born a girl is like the worst thing that's ever happened to me yeah I just watched that trailer yeah I just watched that trailer and n- none of the lines in it were from were in the movie and so I was like oh this, movie. this seems yeah. different yeah yeah it, is, it does look a little bit different um, looks good. I'm looking forward to it. Angela Lansbury will be playing Aunt March. Um, and the daughter of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke will be playing Joe. Oh, I bet she's beautiful. She is beautiful. Yeah. Good for her. Um, what's the other one that's coming out? Oh, the other one. Uh, I don't know. It had like way less information on there. Uh, the one coming to PBS in May 
it was written and created by the woman who did Call the Midwife, which is a really good show about the lives of women and dying in childbirth um, that I had to watch because the childbirth scenes are a little too intense, Mm. but it's a very good show. Um, Oh, and Emily Watson will be playing Marmee, the mother. Uh, And then another adaptation, that one's going to be like a modern retelling uh, slated for next year. And the only, the only name attached to that really is Leah Thompson. Oh, really? So she'll oh. be playing Marmy. Oh, I like that. Which be interesting. Yeah, I like that too. Recently saw her in her first film role in uh, Jaws Three. She plays, oh yeah. She plays a water skier. <laughs> How is it that she played a mom? Because she played the mom in Back to the Future, right? I know, which was How is she only like... was a mom then and she's still a mom now? Yeah. Well. That was 30 years ago. Film roles for women. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's true. She went true. right from... Right from water skiing as a beach babe. <laughs> to three mom. To playing a mom in Back to the Future just a couple years later. I mean, I guess they aged her when she was the mom, and also they mostly used her as yeah. her young self. Fine, okay, fine. <laughs> well, speaking of mothers, uh, when Joe comes back from New York because she gets word that Beth is really ill, um, she's like walking up to the house, and Meg is outside, and she's like a thousand months pregnant, and she's like, <laughs> oh my god, why didn't you tell me? And she says, oh, one hardly speaks of such things, which is true. Up until very recently, like, people didn't talk about being pregnant, because, really? like, yeah, I mean, the, you could lose a pregnancy at any moment, you could yeah, drop dead true. at any moment, that's die true. in childbirth, you know, it was, like, a, t- a taboo to, like, talk or, like, get excited. Even still, you don't birth, talk about it. Really sad. You don't talk yeah. about it for the first trimester. Yep. It's really sad. Because um, maybe if we did talk about it, things in women's health wouldn't be so fucked up. But anyway. I uh, also learned a new word, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah. But it had something to do with Meg being pregnant. I had to Google it. Because when, after Beth dies, Meg oh. is not there. Yeah, they say she's taken to her bed or something. No, but they use um, a uh, there's a word for it. There was a specific hey, word for it. I don't remember it. what I'm it is. I should have written it down. Meg, bed rest. She, she's basically on bed rest. Um, yeah, because she's about to have the babies. Right. Which it turns out, <laughs> whoops, we thought it was going to be one baby. It's actually it two. It was two ultrasound babies. Doesn't exist yet. Um, I can look through my Google search history. Yeah, it's from now that's two days ago. Let's see. Gonna find it more quickly. Important term because it like, yeah, women used to go into seclusion like towards the end of their pregnancies. Mm, not sequestration. That was different. <laughs> Close. Close though. That was, that was a different argument. Googled Samantha Mathis a bunch because she was dating River Phoenix when he died. Okay. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, sucky. Like, that's Wait, super sucky. Sh- she... Who's she? The old version oh, of older Amy. Amy older Amy, yeah. Okay. I googled how much $25 was because that's how, how much... How much was it? It was like, it's like 300 bucks. It's a lot of money. Oh, wow. That is a lot. That was like how much the train ticket was, right? No, yeah, because that that's how much Joe made when she cut off her hair. 
for the train what ticket. Beauty. I can't find it. It's not here. We have to know what this word is. God damn it. I will watch the entire thing again <laughs> just to find it. Well, you could go back to the, you know, which part it is. Yeah. Doctors are increasingly no longer recommending bed rest due to a variety of um, bad things that can happen because of bed rest. So it's like one of those things where they're like, I'm sure this is fine. And then it turns out not so much. They're like outside when they say that, right? Mm, I don't know. I don't remember. It's like, it's like just after Beth dies and there. Yeah. And they're like saying why everyone can't be there. And it's so sad actually because Joe is like, she says something like, oh no, none of us, we're not all going to ever be together ever again. Oh my God. Yeah, no, I wrote that down. Um, Cause I don't, I don't know if you've lost anyone uh, like close to you and your family, but there is this moment where you realize that like, you're never, well, I guess this is true of like anyone who you lose if you're close to them like you realize all of a sudden that like you're never going to be together again Mm -hmm. and um that can be really like a super intense moment I think that's it's then that she actually like runs out into the woods Mm -hmm. too yeah that really struck me um yeah Well, and it kind of illustrates this, like, even even if you disregard that Beth has just died, um, like, I feel like for Joe especially, she has these, like, two conflicting things within her, where she, like, really wants to go out and be her own person, and she also just, like, really wants to be with her family. Yeah. And, like, I feel like we all have that now. I mean, if you like your family, like, some people are probably like, cool, family, peace, you know? But, like... <laughs> There's this thing now, especially I feel like where we're all raised to be pretty independent and we leave our families and like often move really far away. And yeah, it's like two conflicting things within you. And and, like Joe really has that. that. In um, Beth's like death monologue, where she says, like, why does everybody have to go away? Why do they all want to go away? Yeah. I am trying to cue up the part of the movie where they use that word. And who's the old lady that lives with them? <laughs> Hannah. Hannah. I don't know. Is she like I a... thought she was their grandma, but they call her <laughs> no. Hannah, so I don't know. No, I think she's just like their house lady. Okay. Because they're not, like, they're poor, but they're not that poor because they still have her, right? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I just always thought she was their grandma, and then I realized not. I'm gonna ask. Um, but I'm watching her spread flower petals over Beth's bed oh, and belongings. Yeah, such and she like puts a, them on the doll, and that's where and I, when I squeezes the doll's hand. That's when I ugly cry. <laughs> uh, fun fact: the historical reference for uh, putting flower petals on the bed of somebody who just died is because. Uh, people would leave their family members' corpses in bed for many days after they die so that the family could come by and see them and say goodbye. And because they didn't have washing machines or refrigeration or anything like that, uh, it would smell. So they would take uh, petals of roses or other very fragrant flowers and put them on their stuff. 
We're so lucky. I know, right? <laughs> um, Hannah Mullet is their maid and cook. Okay. Oh, will we never all be together again? Her dad just like walks out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> Silently. He's like, we're not going to be together right now. Uh, running through the woods. And uh, this movie has such a good um, sense of like just being enveloped by nature. You know, mm-hmm. um, like the natural setting just is so, so much a part of the movie. Um, and you see the the passing of time through the changing of the seasons, which is like one of my favorite things. Um, like in the Great British Baking Show. If you pay attention <laughs> in the background over the course of a season, you see, you see the flowers change and stuff. It's nice. I really like... Because Joe, Joe runs through the woods at least twice. I think she runs yeah. a couple other times, too. I really like to watch how she holds all of her skirts up as she runs. Yeah. Louise May Alcott, huge proponent of running, advocated for women to run, which was a thing that women weren't allowed to do back then. <laughs> oh, um, and hey, actually hey. like ran regularly uh, up until shortly before her death. That's great. What a hero. Meg has entered her confinement. Confinement! She put it in a letter to Lori. And that's when he learns that Beth has died and he goes to see Amy. Yeah. The condition of being in childbirth. Also, the first thing in the um, the, the definition is dated. Because, <laughs> yes. Okay, well, that term was not as interesting as I thought it was. Another, like, small detail that I really liked was, um, there's a part closer to the beginning where Meg and Joe are about to go out to this party, and they're, like, trying to be all proper, and Meg is, like, teaching Joe how to behave, and one, Joe's dress is burned in the back, which is great, (laughs) um, and... So she has to spend the whole party, like, standing against the wall or putting her hands behind her dress to cover it up. And then she ends up spending the whole party in a room with Laurie anyway, just, like, being goofballs, which is, like, exactly how you should spend every party. Agreed. Um, But so Meg is, like, trying to teach her the rules, and she's like, you mustn't shake hands. Like, it's not the thing anymore. Um, And then when she goes to New York, the first thing she does is shake the woman's hand of of the the place she's going to live. Just, like, a small detail. And I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. Throw the rules no, out the window. Your life's different now. Yeah. Well, no, I think that Joe is somebody who would, like, just always shake a person's hand, you know? Well, no, the woman offers her hand first. Oh. I think. I think. Okay. Think is a different I mean, I, in New York City. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of really good details in this movie. And the costumes are so good, so and good. the set dressing is so good. It was actually modeled after Louisa May Alcott's Real House. Um, the like evergreen swag and garland that they have all over the house during the Christmas scenes mm-hmm. are just to die for. Next year, I'm going to have to make some, some evergreen garland mm-hmm. and hang it about, because it looks so lovely. Oh, and the oranges. That is like a... A really strong image from this movie because there's the orange in the first Christmas 
scenes, um, which are during the, the Civil War, where they have like this one orange and Amy tries to covet it, but ultimately they bring it to their neighbors who are poorer than they. They bring um, all the food to their neighbors. I yeah, want so nice. that breakfast that they have. Oh my god, it, it looks, looks so good, doesn't it? so good. Yeah. The bread is beautiful, um, and the sausage is beautiful. I don't even like oranges, and the orange is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it is very picturesque. Uh, and recording this, like a week before Christmas, it's making me hungry for <laughs> Christmas, Christmas Day breakfast. Oranges Although, were make- like... Oranges were like a big deal until like yeah because I because on Mad Men on Mad Men whenever Don goes to California he like brings back oranges yeah. and that's like a big deal. Well, that actually is a nod to the, like the heavy heavy um, advertising and marketing that the orange industry did during mm-hmm. the twentieth century. So check this. I looked deep into the orange thing. Um, because I, I, I knew that it was like a Christmas tradition, like a lot of times kids, maybe not in the United States in the 21st century, but like during the 20th century. And I know um, in like Northern and Central Europe, the orange is a thing too. Uh, just that like kids would like get one in their stocking or something. And so um, prior to like rail travel, it was really rare to find citrus fruit in those like Northern latitudes Mm -hmm. uh, because it's just too cold to grow there yeah um and so uh especially during the civil war where trade from the southern part of the united states was cut off from the north like for them to have an orange in december is like a really big deal in this movie and that's why it like amy was so covetous of it because it's like so valuable um but you actually see the orange later in the movie again when Joe is living in New York City and she's like sitting there. I think she's writing a letter home or maybe it's when she's working on the manuscript for what ultimately is Little Women. Um, and you see her just like casually enjoying an orange mm-hmm. um, because it was a lot easier to get oranges after the Civil War, not just because trade had been restored with Southern parts of the United States and the boundaries of the United States have been expanded, but also because of rail travel, it was much easier to get oranges from those warmer latitudes to further north. Um, And then in the 20s was when they like introduced orange juice, and then that has a whole weird and long and um, pretty racist history behind it. Some (laughs) podcast did that story because I've heard the orange juice story. Yeah. yeah. It's and I don't remember it really, but yeah. yeah. Like yeah. Um I, I, race kind of like pops up in this movie a couple times, uh which is interesting. Like uh her Louisa May Alcott's father and the Alcotts in general were like strong abolitionists. Although I feel like I read recently that Bronson Alcott like even though compared to the people of his time was very progressive on the issues of race, he was still by today's standards, like a huge racist. Mm -hmm. So take this with a grain of salt, but, um, he had written like extensively on the topic of abolition and stuff like that. And, um, when 
Meg is like getting ready for their coming out party like during the makeover scene which I keep almost saying makeout scene <laughs> over scene um, she's like with all those other girls and they're talking about silk and how they haven't had silk dresses since mm-hmm. you know before the war broke out um, and one of the other girls says some things like um, I wrote it down hang on oh they the marches haven't bought silk in years. They have views on slavery. They have views, yeah. Yeah. Well, and in that scene, you learn that they also have views on children working. Yeah. Which also is very progressive for that time. Yeah. And, and they're, the family in general had views on all sorts they of things. They had a lot of were, views. That's why they're great. Yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, Susan Sarandon has that great monologue about how the only reason that like women get faint and you know delicate is because we keep them inside yeah they should be out running around when they're all playing just... outside in the snow yeah yeah really good um Oh, when she finally does write her book, you see her sign her actual name, Joe Mars, or Josephine March, which is so nice. After, like, knowing that she had been trying to publish or publishing under a man's pseudonym, it's a nice, uh, nice image. Yeah. And to use her whole name, Josephine, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was wondering, um, in the scenes where they're, like, putting on plays in their attic, and wearing all those costumes, I'm like, how much of my style is actually influenced by this movie? And I just didn't realize because <laughs> they have so many good hats. They have a yeah, great hats and shawls. I've gotten very into shawls this year. It was a natural <laughs> progression from blanket scarf, um, and it's basically just wearing a blanket. And I don't understand why we forgot that that's a great idea. Hmm. I'm gonna do that. That sounds great. Yeah, highly recommend. Um, Yeah, I think that does it for the movie itself, and then I have lots more trivia. What else you got? Those, <laughs> what else that I was, got? like, pretty much all my notes on the movie. Yeah. I, like, I like. sometimes I'm able to, like, study the movies we watch, like, and mm-hmm. write a lot of notes about them as if I'm, like, studying the movie, and then sometimes I'm like, hmm, I just want to watch the movie. This is yeah. one that I, like, just wanted to watch, so I didn't take this that many notes. This is actually the most notes that I took in a really long time because I just kept writing down all the things that I loved. <laughs> so much stuff. Um, and like how... Wait, I haven't even been paying attention to some of these other notes that I made. Oh, the makeover scene. Get out of here, Christian Bale. Oh, uh, Joe has a... Oh my god. I love Josh moment, kind of. <laughs> when she sees Lori in the doorway kissing somebody else. I'm not even sure who she's kissing do you know who that is he was kissing somebody yeah i think so or maybe you know what it might have actually been her sister and eric stoltz instead but she had this moment of like you could see like the jealousy in her eyes that kind of reminded me of that scene in clueless well i like they're all very like yeah when so like she catches meg 
making out with Brooks in the doorway. Okay. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. But of. Meg hasn't like announced to the family really yet that they're mm-hmm. a thing. Um and like I feel like like so Joe's like super pissed off, but I just feel like that's because they're so close that like she is going to hate anybody who tries to come into their family, right. you know? Yeah. And then obviously she doesn't yeah, hate him for very long. I don't know. I, it, it strikes me that she's like not that big of a fan of him. She's like, nah. Well, I think she could do better, honestly. That, that's kind of what they all think. Yeah. And even like. Yeah, because he's poor, but he also like doesn't seem that great otherwise. Although he treats her right. And they're like, well. At least we got that. Well, that's, like, fine, really all the mom wants for them. Yeah. That's true. Um, Joe has a really excellent writing hat. She has a, like, weird kind of Santa Clausy sort of hat. It's like, yeah. I feel like there's a hat like that in Clueless also. <laughs> Maybe. A lot of good hats in that movie, too. But I need to get myself a hat like that. I'm not a writer, but I do spend late nights at my drawing desk and I think it would make a nice addition um oh Louisa May Alcott actually suffered health problems of her own in her later years and may actually have had lupus um and photographs of her shortly before her death she actually has um a rash on her face which is fairly characteristic of lupus so Mm. uh more modern researchers have started to think that that's why she died and not which what had previously uh, her death had been attributed to which is uh, mercury poisoning um, because she was treated with mercury when uh, trying to survive typhoid after her brief time nursing during the civil war yeah she was a nurse in a um Union Army Hospital and then got typhoid and had to leave. Um, oh, uh, while filming, Claire Danes accidentally lit her hair on fire because <gasps> she was candle. <laughs> she was carrying a candle up the stairs and it caught her hair on fire. Though most of the hair in this movie is actually either wigs or like sewn in hair pieces. Yeah, it looks good though. It looks amazing. I the whole time I thought it was real hair. And I was even thinking, like, oh, man, everyone's hair looks great in this movie. I only assumed that it was fake because it was, like, so, so long. long. And, like, then yeah. Amy's hair is, like, so perfect. Yeah. And that also, Susan Sarandon has this, like, monster braid. It's, like, really <laughs> super long, but it's also, like, very girthy. And I was like, that's got to be, that's got to be some extra hair in there. Um... Oh, guess who also auditioned for the role of young Amy March? Who? Wait, I'm going to guess. Christina Ricci. Oh, that would have been my guess. Yeah. I don't... But also Natalie Portman. I like Kirsten that's better. Although I think think, Natalie Portman would have been good. Yeah, and also I think I read Thora Birch auditioned for her, too. Mm, Yeah. Ooh, Alicia Silverstone auditioned for the role of Beth. Mm, Nope. Yeah, she was a bit No one can ugly cry like Claire Danes does in this. Oh my god. She is a maestro of the ugly cry. <laughs> does she ugly cry in anything else? I feel like maybe uh, like in Romeo and Juliet. Literally Jillette. everything she's ever been in. What else is she in? 
uh, my so-called life where she's crying <laughs> constantly. Um, I have never seen Homeland, but it is my understanding that there's a lot of ugly crying on that show, too. Uh, what else has she been in? Oh, Romeo and Juliet. Definitely she definitely ugly, ugly cry cries in that. in that, yeah. Jeez, I really haven't seen a lot she's of stuff a that she's girl. in. I think she ugly cries in that. This movie was like, I don't want to say like, had a lot of women crew, but it had more women crew than most other movies. Yeah, true. When I read the credits, because I was noticing it in the beginning that like, the director, the screenwriter, mm-hmm. and someone else important were all women. Like the main <laughs> producer, I think. And I was like, okay, yeah, all right. And like, I was like, what about everybody else? So I like, purposely read the credits at the yeah. end, and there was a bunch of women in there. Yeah. Yeah, the production designer, art director, and set dresser are all men, though. But they did do a fantastic job. And the editor was a man, which is, I mean, editors are, is a woman's job. I mean, it's not, you know, anyone can be an editor. But, like, a lot of editors are women. Um, So I was surprised when it was a man. I don't know if I'm familiar with that generalization. Yeah, it's kind of a thing. I mean, I think, like, more than other jobs. Like, that's been one that yeah. women have been able to break into and actually, like, have been well-respected at doing. Yeah, you know? makes sense. Um, well, something that I was thinking about when I was looking at who the director and screenwriter and stuff were, um, the director, I was like, why hasn't she... Because she is Australian, but she's only made like a handful of other movies and they're all like weird Australian movies. Um, and I was like, why hasn't she worked more? And then I start to wonder like, Hmm, why hasn't she worked more? You know, given, given what we know now about women in Hollywood. Mm, yeah. Cause this is like a very good movie. It was well reviewed at the time. It has like a really good score on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff. This is, like, a capital G, capital M good movie. This is a good movie. And, like, how has she not directed more things? I would like to see more things directed by her. But anyway. And, well, I wonder how common it is for a person, man or woman, to make one movie and then make a bunch of other movies that aren't as good. Or, like, aren't as known. <laughs> like, that also might be uh, a thing. That never happens. No, like, no, never, never mind. Never <laughs> no, um, yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. But, you know, it's it would seem that she hasn't gotten a lot of good opportunities. Right. You know. Um, I feel like I took more notes than this, but apparently I did not. That's it. <laughs> I just, like, uh, then if we're, like, near the end, I want to say, like, how important I think it is that, like, all little girls watch this movie. Yeah. Or Why? any any version of it or read it or whatever. But, like, it's so important for girls to see girls together like this, mm. behaving this way. Yeah. I mean, and it's sad that, like, something written in... What year, what year was this written? Uh, the book? Yeah. 1868. So, like, it's kind of sad that, like, something written in 1868 you could still read and be like, hmm, still kind of relevant. Yeah. Like, obviously we've come a long way, but in a lot of ways we haven't. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's important for girls to see other girls like this. Although they are very white. Yeah. And they can recognize that. It's a very it's a very white story. Yeah. Well, rural New Hampshire, I think. It Ma- is. Massachusetts. In the 1860s. Yeah. Not not a, a bustling hub of multiculturalism. No, apparently not. I need to like read a lot more about Louisa May Alcott though. I was just very well, interested in her. Um and she's from Massachusetts, and I'm like, oh, maybe I should just like go to her house. Like, I oh bet they, have, I bet they have a bunch of stuff. Uh, when it's warmer out, we could take a field trip, <laughs> <laughs> a really long field trip. Yeah, and go visit her house because I would love to see it. Um, apparently, when she was hospitalized with typhoid, she wrote this compilation of, um, oh, she wrote these letters that she sent home over the course of six weeks and they were published as this thing called hospital sketches and I really want to read them mm. it sounds really interesting and it also makes me wonder like hmm, how different is that than being hospitalized now yeah I mean, obviously very different but also at the same time kind of probably <laughs> not that different um I will say uh watching this now for the first time as an adult where like I've had a lot of a lot more health issues. Um, like, I, I always kind of identified with the character of Beth because she's, like, the sickly one that can't go outside a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was sick a lot as a kid, and there's, like, not a lot of representations of sick kids mm-hmm. outside of, like, Victorian literature. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time around, it was, like, especially gutting to watch her kind of character arc. Yeah. Really sad. But she, it seems like, and like maybe it's just because she was kind of sickly, but she isn't upset by it. Yeah. Well, and her monologue about death is, I find, fascinating. Um, Because she said, like, you guys were always, like, off making plans and, like, I don't know. It just like wasn't for me. Yeah. I like to stay home. Yeah. I'm not afraid of death. It's coming. It all is. Like it's coming for all of us. You know. Um, yeah. Really interesting to hear. Uh, to hear her say that. <sighs> well, good thing I brought down the room right before the end of the podcast. <laughs> specialty. Well, then I'll tell you that I learned that you can visit Louisa May Alcott's Orchard House, also known as the Little Women House, and take a tour of it for $10, and they do a Little Women Christmas there. (gasps) Oh, wow. I don't know what that entails, but who cares? (laughs) Yeah. Because that has me wondering, like, oh, does that mean that, like, it's, like, extra good to go during Christmas, and, like, be that cold or would it be a total letdown hard to say I forgot that this is like kind of a Christmas movie yeah I wouldn't really think of it that way although parts of it do center around Christmas yeah well cause it you, it marks the passage of time with two Christmases mm-hmm. like it opens during Christmas and then uh, the first part of it ends after 
that second Christmas. Mm-hmm. So Christmas does center pretty largely, I think. Mm-hmm. Did we do it? Did we do Little Women? I think we did it. Yeah. Sure. So, well, I mean, that does it for the last episode of Wistful Thinking for 2017. Um, I think that's pretty, pretty exciting. Super exciting. The first year of our podcast, but not really a year because it didn't start until June. June? Really? I mm. thought it was before that. Maybe. <laughs> I don't remember. Well, listeners, if you want to go back and listen to older episodes of the Wistful Thinking Podcast, you can find them on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and all the places that you get podcasts and also at cageclub.me, cageclub.me. That is the home of the Cage Club Podcast Network on which this podcast resides. And there's lots of other good podcasts there, some new ones. They got one about Charlize Theron now. They got one about Channing Tatum. Uh, they got one about Fast and Furious. Fast and the Furious. Also, there's the Philip Seymour Hoffman one. And, of course, the classics, Keanu Club, Cage Club. <laughs> Cinemakers, they're talking about directors. So, lots of, uh, there's more. There's more to it that I'm not remembering at the moment. Uh, so, go to cageclub.me and find out all about them. Joey's going to make fun of that roundup. (laughs) Yeah, he is. Yes, he is. What's up, Joey? We did our best, Joey. Uh, We're we're trying here. Uh, So follow us on social media at InSicknessPod. Send us an email. We are not at InSicknessPod. You're right. That's my other other podcast. podcast. (laughs) Listen to my other podcast, InSicknessPod and Health. Uh... Yeah, no, I've just said that so many times is what automatically comes out of my mouth. What is our social media, Jordan? Uh, uh, <laughs> at Wistful Pod. Wistful Pod. On Twitter, Instagram, and you can find us on Facebook. Yeah. Wistfulpod at gmail.com, I think is our email address. Yeah. Uh, send us an email. Tell us what you think. Was Little Women important to you in your life? If not, what was? What do you want to see us do on future episodes of the podcast? Do you want to be uh, on the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) On the podcast. That was the phrase I was looking for. (sighs) Drop us a line. (laughs) Bye.